Hello, everybody. You're listening to the Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 14. Is it a burger or is it a sandwich? Hello, Big Chillians. Welcome back to the Big Chill Podcast. I'm joined, as always, with Eddie and Sam. Eddie, Sam, we got any uh, post-NFL depression lingering still, or how are we feeling? It's always hard for me to tell in the week after the Super Bowl, because even though I'm used to staying up late, I think the back-to-back of the Super Bowl followed by the England Test Match in India meant that I had like two consecutive days with very little sleep. And it's hard for me to tell whether it's the depression or just the kind of hangover of catching up a little bit on sleep combined with having a lot of work but certainly this weekend with no football at all was a little little bit depressing are you sure you're just not recovering from Vasilis maybe spiking your drink with something yeah my ass <laughs> did feel a little bit sore so it's possible <laughs> yeah I, I mean you just got to get used to the fact that what there's another 20 to 30 weekends of this before it all starts up again <laughs> So one sounds pretty depressing, but the 29 you'll just get through. I mean, we've got a sport to cover almost the whole way through, right? You've got the Olympics in the summer. You've got the Euros in the summer. Um, you've got the Premier League, European football coming back. And then and if, then you'll be there. And the if Olympics, you're still dying. Oh, go ahead. The Olympics don't really excite me that much. Like I like when they're on. Like I do enjoy watching the Olympics. It is something that I'll watch a ton of when it's happening, but I don't, there's zero anticipation on my end for the, for the Olympics coming. It's not like, Oh, thank God. This is an Olympic summer. Well, I was going to say if, if you were still craving some football, you could pop on the new FCF seven on seven full contact league that Johnny Manziel is already dominating. <laughs> yeah. I give it a pass. I, I watched the highlights. It looked as if he was playing against a team of high school students. I mean, there was plays where he was just running around the field, just eluding people as if they've never played football and they just thrown pads on for the first time. I will say it's kind of got that arena football vibe where it's super close. And the last play of the game, they made like this desperate like run around throw and the guy was about three yards from scoring and out of nowhere, he just got demolished into the side of the boards, like two yards from the touchdown. That was actually pretty funny to watch, but I, I the level of, or the quality of play did not look very good, but I guess that's to be expected. I also don't really understand the premise. So the fans voting on the play call makes sense in like an actual football game. But in a kind of arena style game where almost every play seems to then just get turned into one person scrambling to make a play and it's just kind of backyard football and kind of just freestyling, basically, it kind of defeats the purpose of then having the fans calling the plays. Unless that's the play call. Scramble for your life. (laughs) (laughs) I guess. Scramble right. (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. So... So every play is decided by the fans or do they come up with like a playbook before the game and that's the one they use? So I didn't watch the game. I only watched some of the highlights and they didn't really mention that in the highlights, which I thought was what they would mention. But obviously, I guess everyone is, you know, Johnny football is the main attraction. But 
I want to know how that went. You know, were they calling every play? What was the plays just the dumbest calls ever? And he was just calling his own plays, like vetoing them. So I don't know actually how that went. What? So when he sees 70 QB sneaks lined up and he's just yeah. like, yeah, I'm vetoing this. I'm going against it. Head first dive into defender. Head first dive into defender. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think actually, if I I don't know what it's even on. That's the issue, right? I don't know what time it's on. I don't know if it's on television or if it's a streaming service. I would give it a shot just to see the whole play calling aspect of it. But I think I would turn it off after about five minutes, probably. I kind of I kind of like the idea of having you know like everyone's got like a keypad in the stadium, and in the thirty seconds, <laughs> there's four plays that come up, and it's A B C D. Oh, like a who wants to be who a wants yeah, to be like a millionaire? A, like an ask you're the audience. You're, you're picturing who wants to be a millionaire. I am. I like. <laughs> I also think then, but hold on, if it's going to be like who wants to be a millionaire, it has to be the same level level, like where three of the options make sense and one of them is completely idiotic. So where <laughs> what, it's like, like you're third it's, it out. <laughs> it's, it's like first. Me. It's like first and ten, and then like option D is like punt. And it's just it's just watching two teams punt back and forth the entire game. The phone a friend is always John Madden. <laughs> yeah. And and like the the trick is he can't actually talk on the phone a friend. He just gets his little pad to draw on. So you have to try and figure out what he's the play he's drawing without him talking about it. That would be awesome. Him, it's just him saying the words bam and boom a lot as he's moving around <laughs> with the mouse. But I like the idea of the 50-50. So going what Eddie said about like one of the stupid options is punt. And you can imagine them looking up and they see punt removed and they're like, oh, thank God. Now that gets me on to the question I wanted to, to ask each of you because it's something I got thinking about this weekend. If you had to choose for the rest of your life to live without the internet or to live without television, which would you choose? And I'm not going to let you cheat. Like I'm going to view the internet as being like the principle of the internet. So web browsing kind of thing, like no Netflix, Netflix, Netflix and YouTube. I'm going to classify as TV. Oh, what, even, even YouTube. Like a, no, YouTube even, is not TV. YouTube's not TV. Well, you, otherwise you could cheat because you could be like, well, I'll just take YouTube and there's full episodes of stuff on YouTube. So you know, you basically I'm be getting the TV You're completely f- non TV stuff. So like game reviews or sports. No, 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 no. Those, like that. That's approaching TV. You can still have a five minute clip of people like falling out of wheelbarrows. You can have that still, but you and cannot have just anything that, that has only you, that you can't have anything with any <laughs> production value like it is just what about clips? shopping carts can they fall out of shopping carts sure okay. you can have clips you can have things going wrong clips or like cute dog videos but you can't have anything where someone's like edited and put it together now can i use the internet for work still yeah i'll say yes for purely work purposes but like it would be like firewall and restricted browsing kind of thing because yes i'm not otherwise you're obviously going to have to pick the internet because it might yeah. mean that you, you can't do your job <laughs> otherwise i'd have to go to libraries and pull out <laughs> journals and books every day <laughs> i would choose i think i would choose tv what life without tv or you would choose... no no i would choose to have television versus having the ability to browse the internet in my free time i think i would go the other way I think I'd rather have internet and no TV. I just, That's because you have TV paralysis, Sam. I haven't. 
It's not just TV. It's everything in my life. I am paralyzed. You're just paralyzed. I am paralyzed with decision. <laughs> I actually looked it up after, and it's in like Aesop's Fables. It's like an ancient Greek thing that they talked about it. So it's quite interesting. Not, not being able to watch television, television shows. Paralysis. <laughs> yeah, about television or <laughs> I think all of them had TV paralysis. They just had to wait another 2,000 years. Yeah. Do I watch it when it comes out or do I not? I think I'd go internet. I just feel like the internet would always find, I'd always find something with the internet to replace television, whereas television is sure fundamentally one dimensional. I know, I know where you're going with it, but that would have production value, right? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to have to ex- say that that goes in the TV category. No, there's no way that goes in the TV category. Because who in their right mind like turns on their TV and puts like porn oh. on their 65-inch oh. television? Oh, Frank, do you really have to ask that? Because we know <laughs> someone who definitely does that. Yeah, but he's not a normal human being. <laughs> Didn't say that, but 100%, we know someone who probably is like, I much prefer to have it on TV. <laughs> yeah, I'd go into that. I think I'd go, I think I'd find I'd go television. I, think I mean, I don't all... understand what's what's the what's the allure of the internet. Like, I don't do Reddit or any of that stuff. Like, I'm not on forums or anything like that. I could be without Facebook. I like I that doesn't really do much for me. Well, we would find it harder to talk, Frank. We wouldn't be able to do this. We could do WhatsApp. I'm gonna put WhatsApp because it's an internet-based messaging. Yeah, it's going on the internet. We could oh, that's SMS. fine. I'll, I'll just FaceTime you then. Yeah. Wait, what? I would just do like Apple FaceTime with you every weekend. But that's we can, have, we can have a no. That that's the internet. No, that's a phone call. <laughs> no, no it's a phone not. call with video. It's, All right, then I'll VoIP. just call you. Then I'll go old okay. school and just call you. Okay, I'd have, have to, to really, call your landline. I'd have <laughs> yeah. to really change my phone plan, but yes. <laughs> I'd love to see someone go back to a like a landline. <laughs> You could get one of those old ones where you dial the number. Well, I, I, tonight. I, ironically, Frank has frozen during that, so it seems like his decision to take to take TV over the internet was instantly applied. He's gone full nomad. He's really committed to this. Okay, I'll 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 go more detailed then on the question: TV or movies? Rest of your life, only TV shows or only movies? Now that's tougher for me. Oof, is it? the rate that they make them now, if that makes sense, because there's a ton yeah, of TV you can't, getting you made. Can't for, you can, yes, you can A, force them to make an Avengers movie every three weeks, and you can't... <laughs> oh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah, all the production houses would just have so much more time. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the same rate. Now, if you wanted to, say, maybe wanted to pick your favorite year of TV and try and multiply that out over the remainder of your life, or your favorite year of movies and multiply that out, but fundamentally the same rate that they get made now. I think, I think I'll go, mo- um, sorry, I think I'll go TV. Over so movies. only TV. Yeah. I think I would go only TV as well. I think TV's had this over the past, like, you know, like Game of Thrones and things like that. It's had these kind of amazing, shocking moments, surprising moments, incredible moments that movie only used to be able to capture. But now that they've got such production value in TV, I think I'll be able to kind of quench the movie thirst. I, I, I don't know about quenching the movie there. That's a, that's a little vivid, but I, I think I have to agree because for me too, one of the main aspects of my TV watching is I can't go to sleep without something on TV. It's like, I have to have something on 
to fall asleep. So I always Porn? usually put on it. Yeah, but no, that's on my big screen TV. So that's different. <laughs> so wait, no, uh, wait, wait, wait. So that's like an ambient thing. Yeah, is it's that sound or is you yeah. need <laughs> or you need the actual image too? I don't actually need the image. It's just sound. Oh, so you like a podcast could be playing. No, no, it has to be TV. It has to be a TV show. Wait, <laughs> how does this I work? I'll explain to you. I have to put on something that I've seen a lot that I enjoy that I'm not invested to stay awake to watch it, but that it's on that it kind of like distracts me mentally a little bit and turns me like turns my brain off a little bit and then lets me go to sleep. Because if I don't have something on, I'll just sit there and think and think and like my like I won't be able to rest and oh. sleep. Sorry, so usually I put on like, no, it's just, <laughs> I, I think it's more just anxiety a... of anything. I don't think it's me like, like answering the universe's questions. I think I just get anxiety that there's so much to do Eureka. or something like that. <laughs> but I usually put on like the office parks and just, rec. Just think Sam, if they, if they hadn't made, if they'd made one last season of parks and rec, we would have already had a cure for this for, for the, for COVID. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> damn damn them i look i kind of agree with you i need to fall asleep unless i am like shattered unless i am just so so tired i need a i need yeah. a podcast or the radio on tv i actually find stimulates me too much just because of the light so my preference is for a radio or a podcast but then i will agree with you i try and pick the podcast so that i don't pick one i like really want to listen to because then it just keeps me awake so I kind of have a series of ones where it's like, these are entertaining, but not so entertaining that I'm going to just be like focused in on, on what they're talking about. That you're not going to want to try and stay awake. Exactly. Because occasionally that happens. Like, And yeah. sometimes I do it by mistake. I put an episode on and then suddenly 45 minutes later, I found that I'm more awake than I was when I got into bed. I always find it amazing with that when you when you do that and like say it's an hour long, you put it on, you fall asleep. It's amazing how often you wake up about a minute before it ends or just as it's about yeah. to end. Like I don't know what it is about that. I don't know if you two get that, but well, the second they're racking up, I'm like, oh, what what's going on? I fell asleep and then suddenly I'm awake again and it's finished. And I'm like, oh, I've missed most of that, so I'll need to restart it. And then you just repeat the problem. <laughs> Yeah, last night I put an episode on and I put sleep on, like the sleep timer on. And I usually put it on for like 30 or 45 minutes, depending on how tired I feel at the time. What's the sleep timer? 30, so that it automatically turns off. You can I do mean, that? Wait. Surely, surely it's fairly obvious from the sleep timer. <laughs> you can do that on a TV. You can do it on your podcast play. You can do it on everything. Oh, I've never seen that feature on like a phone or something like that Are you, i mean i don't i don't ever do that i don't ever do it so i would never have the need to see that but i didn't know this that crazy this is crazy i know i know for tvs i know for tvs like back in the day you could put the sleep so timer on when you go to play your off. podcast it's like right there wait so you know it from tvs back in the day but you don't know it from now <laughs> no because again but, i don't listen to podcasts to fall asleep i used to listen to tv so i would set my tv to like 90 minutes and then I usually be wow, 90. by 20. 90, that says a lot. 90 is... That's forward 90. thinking. That's forward planning, isn't it? 90 is a man with no confidence. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that, is, that is quite the move. But uh, I will say for that, I think I would have chosen the internet and I will choose TVs. 
TV, TVs. I choose TV over movies. I, it wouldn't be close for me personally. Like I'm, I much, much in, enjoy a good TV show. Like I enjoy that more than I enjoy a good movie. Yeah, I, I think half of the movie aspect is going to the movies before everything that happened. That used to be kind of nice, especially here, at least they have the theaters that serve alcohol and serve food and everything. So you could go and it'd be like a really nice experience to see the movie, have a few drinks. I don't get alcohol with the cinema. Like fundamentally, I go out to like socialize with alcohol, for example. It just seems weird to have a few drinks, then sit in silence for two and a half hours. It, it just doesn't. You, you know, it's correlate. bad when alcoholic Sam is calling you out for, <laughs> for drinking. I mean, <laughs> I, mean I, I don't think it's that bad to watch a, a movie and instead of drinking Diet Coke, you drink a nice beer. <laughs> I do get what he's saying, which is that often I use alcohol as like a stimulus for social interactions. Whereas if I'm just sitting watching a movie, the alcohol is in no way contributing to the experience. Like I don't enjoy a movie more by having nine beers along with it. It's, whereas <laughs> I enjoy a night out and interacting more because of that. So I do get where Sam is coming from. And it gets back to that fundamental root of like, do you really like the taste of a beer more than a taste of a Coke? Yeah, I do sometimes. Which, well, I mean, very rarely, but fundamentally, no. But. Well, you got to get past Budvar, Eddie. <laughs> no, but, but, and that brings us on this weekend for me, Frank, was a good tasting water weekend, which is something oh. we often discuss. I don't <laughs> know if you're either people if, are going to really understand this or people are going to think we're absolutely batshit crazy. <laughs> well, Sam will be the, the litmus test, the instant feedback that we need. Frank and I are in agreement that sometimes water tastes better than others. And that you will have like a day where water tastes really good. And it's not like, oh, I've been exercising or I'm dehydrated and I need the water. Just there's some days where you wake up and that day water just tastes delicious. The same identical water, be it bottled or from the tap. And then the next day you drink it and it just tastes like water, just bland and meaningless. No, I absolutely agree with you. <laughs> like, there we go. And there's also those moments when like you wake up in the middle of the night and you absolutely chain water for no reason. <laughs> you just absolutely <laughs> destroy it. But no, I agree with you. There are certain times when you have like, usually you don't know, but then you have a sip and you just don't stop. You're like, oh my God, I'm just going to down this. Um, yeah. And then there's other days where you're like, oh, guzzling. I'm just having it. Yeah, you're guzzling water down. But then there's or other times where you just have water because you are required to, to stay alive. Wow, what a de what a depressing assessment. <laughs> it's not wrong. It's they're very extreme examples. Or, or you'll pour ever... you'll pour like a glass of water and then you you don't realize it and then you drink it and then you finish it and then about a few minutes later you're just like, man, that that tasted really good right there. Wow, that that, that was different. <laughs> I don't think I've ever consumed water and thought I need to do this to stay alive, Sam. I don't think I've ever reached that point. I think point. I have like once or twice when I was so hungover and dehydrated oh, that's, that I was yeah, basically maybe. saying like, if I don't drink water, this this is never going to end. I might just die here of this heart, uh, headache. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, no, there's definitely days. And this weekend was a good water weekend for me. Wait, that, you compare water weekends? 
No, but I mean, touching on kind of what you said, like there are days when I'm drinking water and it tastes so good that I wouldn't consider drinking anything else. That I, that I think would be the best way of assessing it, where it's like, oh, now I'm thirsty. I want another drink. No, no, I'm just going to stick to water. Like this is tasting delicious today. Whereas there are other days where then you're like, okay, I've had some water now. I, I, I want something, be it like juice or a beer or something. Like I need another liquid now because all I'm getting is hydration. I'm not actually getting any satisfaction. And, and this was, I was getting both satisfaction and hydration this weekend from my water. The, the other water one that uh, me and Dan Abe used to talk about is those times when you wake up and you're so dehydrated and hungover that you know you desperately need to drink like three glasses of water. But for some reason, your mind and body are like kind of fighting against you. And you're just lying in bed being like, oh, I just really need to drink a glass of water. I just can't get up and get it, though. And you just like sit there for 30 minutes in your bed like thinking about drinking water instead of just going and doing it. And that happens every once in a while for me. I'll just be sitting there thinking about drinking it, knowing I needing it, but not being able to physically get out of bed and get it. I don't think I've ever been that hungover where I haven't been able to walk 10 foot. Yeah. I mean, I don't get bad hangovers. So relatively speaking. Yeah. You don't get bad hangovers. But when you, when you get them though, they are cataclysmically bad. <laughs> no. <laughs> I've only Look, seen Eddie in rough shape like once, maybe once. To me, like my hangover is basically just feeling grouchy and slow and tired. Like I never... <laughs> what a word. That's his, that's his Tinder profile when he's single. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, never, I never like throwing up, feeling sick, headaches, like that aspect of hangovers I just never get. But it's just basically feeling like slow. I do remember once when you were living in kind of that uh, ground floor flat. Oh, I know. And there was once, yeah. And there was once on, I don't, I don't think I was there. I think we were just chatting on Xbox on the day. And you just said to me like, how's it going? I was like, yeah, not bad. How are you? And you're like, I'm so fucking rough. (laughs) No, I know. That's the day I threw up on my window. So that's like, I, I used to live in this like one bedroom apartment and for some reason it, so it was a kind of uh, bedroom slash living room. Then it had a small kitchen uh, that, which for some reason had a window built into the wall that looked back into the bedroom slash living room for no reason. And then a bathroom that was unnecessarily large relative to the size of the actual apartment space, which was nice, but also just kind of felt like a waste. And one night I came, I came home and I got into bed and the spins were going really badly and I f- managed to fall asleep and then like must have been five minutes into my sleep, woke up and realized that I was going to be sick. And I got up to run to the bathroom and then realized, you know, it feels like time's going in slow motion, but I realized I was not going to make it to the bathroom. And so as I ran through the kit- small kitchen section, I was prepared myself to throw up. And instead of turning left and throwing up into the sink in this, when I say small kitchen, like it was three steps to cross my kitchen. 
instead of turning left, I turned right and just threw up all over this window and then, uh, and then was horrified in a way by what I'd done. But then also was like, I can't deal with this right now. So I just went back to sleep and then woke up to this kind of horror scene of just dried vomit that had just run down this window. It was, it was terrible. Yeah, it's always tough, like visiting with Eddie, because we'll go out all night and then we'll go to sleep at like five in the morning and Eddie's up at eight, just like ready to go. And usually I would sleep in the living room. So he would like be waiting by the door, just waiting to hear my movement. So he could go in and just like sit in the living room and like watch TV. And I could know, I, I know he would be out there, but I need a lot more sleep than he does. So I would just like continue to make him sit and wait. <laughs> yeah, I've been sleeping more these days. I actually think the lack of activity is making me sleep more. Like just the lack of getting out of my house and doing stuff. And then it's kind of like just a boredom where the sleeping seems like the best option, which is such a depressing thing for me to say because I'm a big anti-sleeper, right? But it's just there's there's just moments where it's like oh, I miss I may as well sleep. What anti-sleeper like an anti-vaxxer? You just you don't believe in the benefits of sleep. No, I 100% believe in the benefits, and I'm not someone who likes being tired. But uh, I'm not someone who gets pleasure from sleeping. So I'm never like if I have the choice of being awake or being asleep, I want to be awake. Oh, I know yeah. someone who's the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> And I so, have very close contact with someone who's exactly the opposite. <laughs> and so like, I do occasionally enjoy like, obviously if I'm tired, it's satisfying to go to sleep. Like, but I want to be really, really tired when I go to sleep. But Hey, this is a good uh, sleep talk podcast that we're having here. Nothing like a great combo about drinking water and sleeping. <laughs> yeah. We pick only the most exciting topics. The hot button issues <laughs> served up at the big chill podcast. Now, I guess what we can talk about quickly is a regular topic of discussion, which is the Duke of Curse, which there may be two instances JJ. of it striking from the last podcast. So the first of which is Frank made the declaration that JJ Watt would be returning to the Texans. And I think within like 18 hours of that recording that he had been cut. That was half jokingly. I mean... I kind of saw that he was going to leave, but I, I'll stand by the fact that I did say he would stay. Yeah. I remember even flagging it, just saying, how many Duke curses have you put yeah. in this one sentence? And then example number two, the question that Frank asked us was, will Joe Root score another double century? And his first innings <laughs> effort was a six. And his second innings <laughs> effort so far is two not out. So he may not even get 10 runs combined. He's close. <laughs> He's getting there. Well, that's just a pitiful performance all around. But yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd say it's India coming back to where they should have been as opposed to it it is pretty bad. It's a pretty bad downhill from England, but it's more India probably going back to where where they are as a team. And a bad pitch. And so once India had racked up a fairly impressive first inning score, it was... It was always going to be an uphill battle for England. So so that I thought you were going to bring up a different one, which is in our chat. I was mad that we did not preview the Daytona 500. And then in the Daytona 500, there was a pretty epic crash in the last lap of the Daytona 500. 
that in itself might have been a slight Duke of Curse, but that got me thinking to where the origins of the Duke of Curse might have originated. So when we were younger, uh, we used to play Nintendo 64. Like my friends would always come over and we'd have sleepovers and play Nintendo 64. And one of the games we would play was uh, the NASCAR game. And I don't remember exactly when it was, but it was about a month or two before the Daytona 500. Not even, probably less than a month. We were playing and I was using, I always used Dale Earnhardt. <laughs> and what I would do is because I could never win. So I would just crash people and try and screw with everyone else. And in the game, they would always go, whoa, there goes tire. Whoa, there goes tire. And it was like that comment. And it was one more like, oh, that's a fiery wreck. <laughs> like these are the two. And the entire night, it was just Dale Earnhardt and crash after crash after crash. And then that Daytona 500, Dale Earnhardt got into a crash and died. So that could be the origin. That goes back to two, that have you what, 2000, 2000, 2000, 2001, somewhere around there. So that's going back. Yeah, that's, that might be one of the early examples of the Duke of Curse really striking and one of the more tragic, it has yeah. to be said. <laughs> A curse is born. Yeah. 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 Well, you should I'll never forget that. You should call up Dale Earnhardt Jr. and apologize. Sure. Probably should. I mean, what I don't get about. It was the commentary for me around that crash that surprised me. So obviously they all crashed and about seven of them just go up in flames. And the commentator just goes, oh, and that's going to be a surprise win for whatever it's called. Mitch something, was it? Or oh, I can't remember yeah. the name of the Mitch, person. Mitch, yeah. Mitch Trubisky, was like, I think it was. Yeah. <laughs> Mitch, I, think, I thought it was Mitch McConnell. <laughs> really branching out from the Senate. But it was just like, you just had this picture of like seven people looking like they had died in these cars. And he was like, oh, this is going to be a surprise win. And then about 10 seconds later, he acknowledges that there was a crash. <laughs> it was just so blasé looked over. Yeah, I guess it's one of those tough ones, right? Because you probably feel torn as the announcer as to like, do you address it immediately and then risk that something really serious has happened, but you've turned it into this like commentary moment, or do you hope the dust settles and you know, everyone's kind of okay. And then you can, you can mention it. I will say that the person who initiated the crash, who was, I think currently in second at the time and was looking to pass to take the lead. They showed the video after he gets out of his car and his car was literally on fire and he hops out. He's fine. He's safe. He kind of walks away from the car for about 10, 15 seconds. And you can see he's super pissed, like just anger. And then he rips off his helmet, turns around and just throws it at the car as hard as he can. It just like bounces off this car that's in flames, smoking everywhere. So he was not too happy about his move. <laughs> I, I I can imagine being less pissed off two laps in, but <laughs> when you are on the final lap in a strong position yeah. and that happens, yeah. I mean, I don't know, but I'm assuming it's pretty significant prize money, right? So even if even if you think like I'm sure top ten in the Daytona 500 is getting you a nice payday, so that must be fairly disappointing. Do you see the appeal in it? Driving watch. in a circle. So, I mean, I'm sure it's really fun to do. So 
could I get in? I'm not a speed guy though. I'm like, I'm not a speed freak. So I have very, I have zero interest in actually racing anything ridiculously quickly. It's not that it like terrifies me, but I don't get any thrill from it. Um, in terms of watching it, no. Like to me, I mean, as horrible as it sounds and not to wish death upon anyone, but the only thing that is interesting is the crashes. Like the crash is the only time when it's like, oh, wow. The rest of the time, it's kind of like, this is like watching very fast traffic. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, a crash or like an event is a variable, right? In what is a very, very constant, monotonous driving around a circle, like just opposing each other for a place. Yeah. But I have got, I never used to find Formula One to be remotely interesting. And I have over the years got a little bit more into Formula One. So maybe NASCAR is around the corner, ironically. Reminds me of an episode of Frasier where they're in the they're uh, in a bookstore and Niles has this book open because he's pretending to read it. And Frasier's like, what are you reading? He's like, oh, I'm all into this history of NASCAR. Frasier that's one of my worst you know when we discuss worst purchases that's one of my worst ever purchases that's one of my shows I watch to go to bed I've watched that that show through at least five times I love yeah I love Frasier I I enjoy Frasier but I spent I think it was 180 pounds on the Frasier like complete series box set probably about three months before like streaming became a big thing. So it was literally, it was literally just like, here you go. Here's, here's an endless supply of Frasier. And then oh look, you could just watch anything you want. And this is also factoring that at least Frasier is on TV, at least two to like twice a day. I'd probably say every morning in the UK, along with everybody loves Raymond. Yeah. There's oh, usually that's the- on a lot here too. There's usually the back-to-back because like thinking back to my university days or when I'm visiting my parents, these are the only two, like these are the only moments where that time of TV watching really becomes a thing for me. But yeah, there's the nine till 10 back-to-back Frasier episodes on channel four, which is bizarre if you think about it because it's a weird way to start your day. Like Frasier is like a weird eating my breakfast. Great way to and, start your day. <laughs> but like a bit of intelligence. Like, it's fantastic. Either you've woken up a little bit late and it's a slow start, or you've realized you've just got nothing to do that day and you're just gonna watch an episode of Frasier. Another one they used to put on a lot is Will and Grace. But I don't yeah. see that one as much anymore. Yeah. Will and Grace I think is okay. I think Will and Grace kind of ruined itself by returning. Yeah. That's my kind of my feeling. It's like the nostalgia for the TV show was killed off because everyone who had the nostalgia then watched the like reboot. And then it was like, never mind. I'm done with this. Arrested development absolutely destroyed itself doing that. I mean, that went from being, that would have been like a top five comedy show for me. And then went to being like, this is absolutely horrendous. So, but Frasier is supposedly coming back too. They're gonna really? they're gonna do like a yeah they're gonna either do a reunion episode like, or like a full wait, season. Aren't they but all the, dead? Yeah, but the, not no, well, just the father, just the no. father. I'm is, guessing the doggers as well. Who? No, isn't isn't Nigel dead? Nigel, who the fuck's Nigel? Uh, Niles. Niles, sorry. No, he's alive. No, and Kelsey Grammer's alive and kicking. 
Yeah, he looks terrible, but he's alive. <laughs> just the father just died recently, I think last year. I mean, the dog's dead, surely. The dog's probably dead. Dog is a little easier to replace. He doesn't have a talking. Oh, yes. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry to David Hyde Pierce. He is yeah. confirmed. <laughs> he's still alive. The crazy part about Frasier, too, is I think every one of the main actors has won a Tony. It's like a pretty random fact about them because they all did a lot of theater, actually. I would care if I cared about the Tonys. That would be an interesting. Yeah, fact. I know. But it's 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 just kind of, you know, they're all. They were all like very popular in theater, but we're in a successful comedy. The only thing that's amazing to me about Frasier is Daphne's character. Her backstory has never made any sense. And like her origin of where she's supposed to be from and her family visiting. And each one of them always has like a very different accent. And it's, it's one of those like Americans uh, like thinking of England as being either tiny or like accents are totally interchangeable so that like one member of your family would have a thick Scouse accent and the other one would be from the East End and like you both grew up in the same place. But like that's the thing that always amuses me. It doesn't bother me in the sense like yeah. it doesn't put me off Fraser, but it always is very amusing when whenever that comes up. Well, she's from Manchester, so that should have a pretty clear accent. Yeah, and her accent is fine. Um, but when, yeah, when her family visits, it's always interesting. Now, speaking of random places in England that probably most people can't place on a map, I thought it was interesting that this weekend Brentford announced that they would no longer be kneeling before their matches. They're the first football club in England to have made this decision. It was the decision of the players. They said that they had internal discussions and basically decided that they no longer felt as if it was a meaningful gesture, um, which is kind of what we discussed actually on the podcast a few weeks ago when we were talking about how long would it go on for and sort of what was it now trying to achieve. Um, but I thought it was, I thought it was interesting that interesting timing. I would have felt kind of as we discussed when we talked about it, we thought the natural ending point would have been the end of last year. And now you'd have felt almost committed to doing it for the remainder of this season. It is interesting to make the decision kind of midway through the year. Yeah. That's kind of the problem with that as well is I think it must've been difficult to be the first club as well. And I think people were just, I imagine not to speak on behalf of people, but I imagine there's a lot of people that think exactly that, but they don't want to be the person that made the move in case of backlash or something like that. So it's interesting that the players did it. And I, I kind of see it. I mean, ultimately the cause should never go away and it's something we should always be striving for, but the, the gesture itself, if it just becomes part of a daily thing, then it's almost no different to like the lineup or the shaking hands or the national anthem or something. It just becomes so molded in that it's not doing anything. Well, you mentioned the national anthem, but the interesting thing from this week, too, was that Mark Cuban had to publicly address the fact that the Dallas Mavericks are no longer playing the national anthem before their NBA games. And it was interesting. This seemingly went, I guess, not unnoticed, but didn't get any coverage because they didn't have, they haven't done it so far this year, either in preseason or regular season games. And then the press asked him a question about it. He said it was a decision they had made after speaking to their community. Now, to me, it makes perfect sense, in particular in a time when there are no, there's no one in attendance. It makes even less sense to make the players just sit through the national anthem while stand. And, but 
Uh, I have always found it to be bizarre that Americans play the national anthems before domestic, like sporting leagues. I've it's always been weird to me. Is it every league, like baseball, basketball? Yes, everything. NFL. Yeah. Why? Is it like a pledge allegiance kind of thing again, just to make sure that these domestic teams <laughs> just to make sure you're or... committed? Try and weed out the terrorists. You fall into the trap. <laughs> now, I will say this: like I had as a non-American growing up in America, I had that be an issue on several occasions. I attended um, when I used to go to jazz games. I would always obviously stand and respect the national anthem, but on multiple occasions, people confronting me for not putting my hand on my heart for the national anthem or where you're not taking your be. hat, not taking your hat off. No, always take a hat off or you never take your hat off for a national <laughs> anthem. <laughs> yeah, of course. Or, or um, it was a real issue when I went to this, when moved to the U S and uh, not saying the pledge of allegiance. And my parents were called in because we weren't saying the pledge of allegiance before. Really? Yeah. Cause every student was required to say it. And so, when I tried to explain as a child that I'm not American, so I'm not pledging allegiance to the United flag of the United States. And then well, Eddie, my- you know what? You don't want to pledge allegiance? Then get the fuck out. We yeah, don't want you. Ed, Eddie, you know what? Like we are hard-hitting questions out. here. Good. Like, why do you want Good. to let the terrorists win? Yeah, and we don't want you back. <laughs> but no, I'm in the school event. The school did accept it when my parents kind of basically explained that it was a little bit absurd. And I wasn't being disrespectful. I was still standing for the Pledge of Allegiance. I just wasn't saying anything. Um, I think but... doing the V sign was a bit disrespectful, though, as you were doing it. Like, yeah, they also, like that. And pissing on the floor while it was going on was also... I, th- I thought you were going to say the flag rather than the floor. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't have that much uh, thrust in my, in my fist. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't mean that it's... <laughs> They tend they put not that to flag put, up there. That yeah, flag's tend, up there. It's they up tend in not that to high put, corner. They tend not to put the probably flag. for that reason. Yeah, they tend not to put it on the floor, Sam. So it, it must have been a good. It must have been a good water weekend for you. I would, yeah, I would have had to have had like a twenty-five yard stream to be able to nail it. I mean, if I was doing the anthem, I wouldn't even be a mad. mad. That's amazing. You could have had combined bets, right? It would have been like color of the urine. And length of the national anthem, it could have been combined like a little parlay. What, like the Queen's hat to Ascot? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's clear. And the national anthem only went on for 37 seconds before they stopped it. Do you bellow it out, Frank, at the start of games that when you were at kind of like your, your level, whenever you did it? Would you bellow it out or just a hand national on heart kind of guy? Well, what else? No, I would kind of just stand. I mean, I don't get the hand on the heart thing. I think that's whoever's telling you to do that is just a little aggressive, Eddie. <laughs> people at Utah Jazz games are aggressive. It has to be said. Yeah. I mean, you know those people in Salt Lake City, they're the most aggressive that they get. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, it is it is the only time, and I admittedly, I haven't been to that many sporting venues in the U.S. Like, I haven't been to, like, an Alabama football game or, like, places that are famed for having atmosphere. You but want to go aggressive? The, go to a Philadelphia Eagles game, Eddie. <laughs> sure. Not been through that either, but the attending a jazz home game has been the only time I have attended a U.S. sporting event where the atmosphere has even like remotely resembled something you would see as being like hostile. 
and like close to stuff you get outside of the US. What is the most hostile game you've been to? I'm guessing it's in Europe, but like, hmm, is it Blackburn Wigan? <laughs> no, no, that definitely wasn't hostile. Although we did get to see a chicken on the pitch, right? So we did get to see one of the famous moments of Premier League history in that sense. And the it flag would be a black, off. It, it would be a yeah, it would be a Blackburn match, but I, there's no like single incident that really sticks out. But at least been as an away fan in moments where you felt like uncomfortable from the people around and then like getting in and out of the stadium felt like genuinely uncomfortable. Yeah. Same. I, what, one of the ones I went to was a Derby game. It was an Exeter V Torquay. So doesn't sound glamorous, but it is quite a disrespectful Derby. I guess there's a lot of animosity. The the five other people there, they were really intimidating. (laughs) 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 <laughs> no, but they. Uh, I've been caught in fights. There's police horses there to kind of back them out. And, you know, the, the Torquay fans, whenever it's an away game, can't leave until like half an hour after the game's ended. You know, that kind of thing. It does get pretty aggressive for lower league football. Um, but I guess it, it can, if that makes sense, because there's less exposure to the game. So you get fans that are more inclined to do that violence because no one cares. Whereas the Premier League, you would A, stop it, eradicate it like immediately. Yeah, that's always one of those things when people ask me when I do get Americans asking, like, is it dangerous to attend a Premier League match nowadays? And it's like, no, it's not the 1980s. Like, there aren't hooligans waiting. No, to... this isn't Green Street hooligans. <laughs> no, that's what people picture, right? Like, they have this oh, idea Oh, I know, because people have seen that movie. And even then, right, even in the big hooligan days, and I'm speaking of this more from, obviously, from other people, because I wasn't around in the, in the heydays of hooliganism, but even then, the general idea is you kind of had to seek it out in the first place. Like It would be rare to be caught up. Like Two firms going at each other was a planned thing or a, like, you, for starters, probably had to be in a firm to really get caught up in the violence. Like It was highly unlikely as a random spectator that you were going to be dragged into some massive street brawl. Yeah, you wouldn't expect lawyers to be like that, but they are, I guess, huh? <laughs> Unless, of course, you're just attending a random England match abroad. That's probably the only time you're at risk of being dragged in if you're just drinking in a big square ahead of an England match. So speaking of what's important in America, I touched on this probably a few months ago, but the chicken sandwich war is still heated amongst the fast food chains in America. So Popeyes released a statement the other day that they are very confident that the Popeye's chicken sandwich will continue to be the standard bearer for chicken sandwiches in the space. And this is in response to McDonald's releasing a new, three new fried chicken sandwiches, Shake Shack debuting a Korean-inspired chicken sandwich, and KFC revamping their chicken sandwich. And Wendy says it has a chicken sandwich that is now plumpier and juicier. So it is heating up over here with things that matter in the States. I find plump a really weird word. <laughs> Don't you want a nice, plump, moist chicken breast in your sandwich? <laughs> plump just sounds weird. Speaking of which, Wendy's are coming to the UK now. They've announced like they're opening like five or six um, like kind of locations across the UK. I, 
I'd be excited for that. Is it any good? Is that like a middle range? Yeah. Like, so I, we used to go to Wendy's a lot in high school because it's pretty cheap and their dollar menu was really good. So you could go get three junior bacon cheeseburgers, two orders of chicken nuggets, an order of fries and a shake for under $7, which was nice. So specific. <laughs> yeah. So, that's what I used to get every time. That's, that was my standard order. Yeah, like as a kid, I used to like Wendy's. I will say that when uh, on a trip back to the U.S., I insisted on going to a Wendy's to get a Frosty and went back like for context, Sam, the Frosty is like, like a, it's kind of like a thick chocolate milkshake. I mean, it doesn't have to be chocolate, but like the default flavor is. Oh. That's quite the debate you just rang up, Eddie. This is like a decades-long debate of whether there is other frosty flavors. There are, right? There's there's a vanilla. Okay. But it's not it's not like universal. Like the frosty is traditionally chocolate. And it's okay. basically in between a milkshake and ice cream. Yeah, it's kind of hard to it's and I enjoyed them as a kid. Like I remember loving frosties. And so, like, I wanted to go back to a Wendy's and order a Frosty for what must have been the first time in, I don't know, 10 years. And ordered it and was just like, ah, this is kind of disappointing. <laughs> like, this is not very good. The other thing people do is they dip their French fries in the Frosty. Wait, what? That's Why? like a... That's well, people do that with milkshakes. People, people do it with milkshakes. It's actually not bad. I will say what, it's not who a, who does it with their milkshake. <laughs> I've seen a lot of people do it. Have I'm you done a, it? I've tried it. Yeah, and it's okay. fine. Yeah, it's okay. fine. I mean, surely it just makes the fry really soggy. No, it's actually a nice combination of the sweet and the salty. I mean, if you're put it this way, if you're already having the like American style like burger and a shake where you are drinking a milkshake while you eat burger, a burger and fries, you're fundamentally getting that experience consistently. Would you dip the burger in it then? <laughs> I mean, that's not an absurd question, but no. No, you couldn't dip it. If anything, you could scoop the shake onto the burger because if you dip the oh. burger, you run the risk of dropping like ketchup and mayonnaise into your shake. If you had, I'll put it this way. If you had a no condiments burger... If you had literally just a bun and a patty and maybe some cheese, I think you could dip the cheese, the burger in the milkshake and it probably tastes okay. But yeah, if there's any ketchup, mustard, mayonnaise that that is just like coagulating in your milkshake, that would be awful. I think whenever you guys do visit, when when it opens back up, we should you should do a burger eating like fast food ranking and then a fried chicken sandwich ranking and we could just do one day we hit up about 12 fast food places (laughs) i would like to do that i do really want to experience the kind of america the the true american fast food style i guess yeah i like the idea i thought you were just gonna end on the true america and then the the (laughs) idea of the true america is like a burger king (laughs) drive-thru and arizona actually is pretty good because they have a decent amount of all those other ones like in and out. We have a ton of in and out burgers here. Water burger is a big one in Texas. We have that here. Water burger. What? Water burger. Like what a burger, but one word. Oh, okay. <laughs> but what? 
Yeah, that would be interesting. Also, the, the chicken sandwich one would be interesting because that is a legitimate debate. This is what America's worried about. Who has the best chicken sandwich? Who do you think has it? I've never, I'm not a big chicken sandwich fan. I know Eddie would be good for this because Eddie loves, well, according to Eddie, a chicken burger, but a chicken sandwich Eddie enjoys. So I, I would like his opinion it's on. Not, it's not just according to, to Eddie. It's like according to Europe. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but Eddie's the one I've had the debate with before. Because I mean, if in Europe you went to order a chicken sandwich in a place, you would get something that looked very, very different to what you'd be. You get a literal sandwich <laughs> with like slices of white bread or like wheat bread with some chicken in it and some lettuce and like it would be you'd be very disappointed and you if get you the tesco for, meal deal and if you ask for a fried chicken sandwich you might confuse people they might think what you were asking for was a little bit gross but you might end up with like a chicken katsu sandwich which you do see or like a toasty yeah maybe but i do enjoy annoying like americans can get very easily triggered over the usage of chicken burger like how worked up americans can get over the idea that it's not a burger <laughs> is amazing it is one of the like to sit back to just make the statement and then sit back and we sam and i actually had this pretty recently on the like zoom pub quiz that we do and just watching people get really animated and going into like, no, this is what a burger is. A burger is not that. Like a burger has to be mince. Like if it's not mince, it's not a burger. Like same idea that like a, uh, a steak is not a ham. Well, they're right. I mean, <laughs> no, it's, it's just the fundamental in the States. A burger is defined by the patty. In Europe, it's defined by the bun. Yes. That's literally, that's it. That's all you have to say. And it's like, oh, okay. But people refuse so to let what that about, they don't so even. What if you had like thigh meat in a chicken burger? Like, is that a, Thick. that's not a patty. But what? so if you had like. Just describe what you have to, don't use the word burger. Describe to me the sandwich. Okay. So I even I'm confused now, but basically <laughs> instead of like fried chicken, in a burger okay. or sandwich, as Americans would call it, you would have thigh meat. Like chicken grilled thigh, thigh meat. meat. Yeah. Like that would Nando's. be a sandwich. Like a Nando's chicken. Like Nando's would do it. That like would be that. a sandwich. It wouldn't become a chicken burger until you literally had a patty of like ground chicken. See, the, the interesting debate here is where you see the real distinction. And it's what Frank touched on. But if I take a hamburger patty, and I stick it into, in between two pieces of white bread, and I Still give it burger. to you. It's a burger. Yeah. If I wrap it in a tortilla, it'd be like a. I would call it like a tortilla burger. <laughs> you <laughs> are the, not shying away from the burger word. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I know what he's saying because, like, because burgers are on a ton of things. So I guess one of the the argument ones would be the um, the patty melt. Because a patty melt would fall under the burger category, but it's not qualified as a burger. And what a patty melt is, is it's a burger with like basically in a grilled cheese almost. It's kind of what a patty melt would be. Because personally for me, if, I, if you told me you were making me burgers, I came over to your house and you were like, I'm going to make burgers for dinner. I'd be like, okay, cool. If you then handed me a 
hamburger patty in two pieces of white bread and you did not address it by saying like, oh, they were out of burger buns or like you didn't. I would somehow... say we were out of buns. No, no, no. But but what we're saying, if, if you see what I mean, like if it is perfectly acceptable to just call a like a ham, like a, a meat patty in in two pieces of white bread, that is just a burger. You could have a psycho who's just like, hey, guys, I've made everyone hamburgers and you just hand out just like a like a just a patty inside two pieces of white bread never address it and people are like well you did make me hamburgers well what, here's my question then then what if you had a fried a fried piece of chicken in between either a pretzel roll or ciabatta bread like a ciabatta roll then i'd probably call it some weird i'd address the bread i'd be like it was like some it was like a fried pretzel roll burger wait um, i'd is, probably say sandwich no, it is still i i would say like gastropub uk most people use ciabatta buns a lot for burgers so a chicken burger would still be a chicken burger with ciabatta it depends on the you know, shape. that's interesting that's a little interesting on, on my end now addressing your your reasoning for calling it a burger it depends for me on the shape of the of to me it's almost shape over it is uh style of bread so like in the same way like a brioche bun but it's bun like to me as long as it's a bun if i'd call it a bun i'm fine with it if i switch from bun to something else then i gotta call it something else i would usually say that sandwich i would usually associate sandwiches with being cold as well not necessarily always but it changes its form so if you toasted a sandwich it becomes a toasty <laughs> like or a panini or something like are, yeah, or like i a associate with cheese. sandwiches yes you, you you have to add in the description of the warmth coming into the sandwich i think that is true like again if yeah i mean in the states you would you they would say like a hot sandwich exactly so technically the you need to be like a hot chicken sandwich no, because I think the only time chicken will be cold would be in a chicken salad. And that would say chicken salad sandwich. No, not even that. Like if you have just like chicken deli meat, like a trick, yeah, chicken that, club is cold. Oh, that would be a sliced chicken sandwich. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so yours no, is to do with the cut of meat. A chicken club is hot because the bread is toasted. A club sandwich is not warm. I think if it were made with chicken, it would be because you'd have it's to grill not, the chicken I, 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 up. I'll tell this. A chicken, a chicken club is not hot. It might be warm. God, God bless anyone who's still listening to this podcast. <laughs> I look forward to the editing of this, and it's like a six-minute podcast. <laughs> Either that or people will have found this to be our most controversial discussion ever. Frank Frank glossed over Brentford no longer kneeling, didn't want to get involved in that, but was happy to go into a 25-minute discussion <laughs> about whether it's a sandwich or a burger. He doesn't want to annoy the Trump fans, I guess. Yeah, Trump, Trump, Trump supporters always say chicken sandwich. Speaking of supporters, Ronaldo, it was announced, was the first person ever to reach 500 million followers on social media. A few weeks ago, Eddie, we touched on how many people you think you've encountered face-to-face. -face. How astonishing of a number is it to have 500 million people follow your profile? 
yeah, it's honestly, legitimately, I think it's one of those things that would be impossible to process. It's about seven to eight percent of the world's population. Yeah. I, I genuinely, I think if you're him and you really th- sat down and tried to think now, factor in what is it, 30% bots, 40% bots? Like, I don't know what percentage. And then how many of them are double accounts? Like, I don't, it probably all boils down to like. Yeah, but then 100. you also have to take. You have to take out the fact that out of this, what, 7.5 billion people on earth, how many actually have accounts, right? Oh, no, for sure. I'm just saying it probably boils down to like 100 to 150 million real people, probably. But even that, just to sit down and think, just just to think that 50 million people, real people want to like, follow what you're doing or listen to your dumb thoughts like just that would be crazy to try and process especially then when you try and think of the type of content he puts out it's not like he's out there trying to like really put out useful stuff it's like a picture of him in a bathing suit being like woke up a champion like you know there's yeah, nothing it's hardly <laughs> it's hardly his latest ted talk no <laughs> yeah it do you think it's crazy that a athlete is the first person to reach 500 that, mm, i probably I would have expected so. it yeah i think it's inter- a shame that it is an athlete it, it would be great if it was someone like stephen hawking or someone yeah. like a genius or, like a, or something like that a really great cardiologist <laughs> well how many other computers do you think followed stephen hawking <laughs> watson probably did yeah <laughs> deep deep blue was all over him <laughs> Speaking of Deep Blue, have either of you or both of you watched uh, Queen's Gambit? No. no. Unsurprisingly, no. Really? Uh, which one are you surprised by that I haven't or that Sam hasn't? Sam's already addressed uh, his like TV I was surprised Eddie hasn't. Because <laughs> uh, it, it was honestly, like the top-ranked show on Netflix. Yeah, and you should know me well enough, Frank. If it hits top-ranked, I'm not there anymore. That's true. He always wants to be on the other side. Yeah, yep. it's too popular for me. And genuinely, it's too popular for me to be about chess. Like, Well, that was going to be my question. Like, as someone who kind of likes aspect. chess, like I do enjoy playing chess. I, every once in a while, dive back into like playing chess against friends on chess apps and stuff. It bothers me to suddenly have people who have like zero interest in chess telling you, chess facts or telling you about how I didn't think chess was interesting, but it turns out it is. <laughs> you know, I've, I heard that too many times over the past couple of months. I thought it was really well done. It was pretty good. I'm sure it's a good show, but <laughs> mainstream now for Eddie. Well, I mean, I don't have time to watch everything, right? So instead I've been watching kitchen nightmares there. That's been my recent, that's been my recent viewing. I've been watching, very old episodes of Kitchen Nightmares. Is that um, Ramsey? Yeah. Yeah. It is. Yeah. The early ones especially is so good just to see him like, because sometimes in the later Caesar series, like near the end of it, I felt sometimes it was a bit artificial, him shouting at people. But in the early ones, when he just genuinely was screaming at people and ruining their lives, it was fantastic to watch. Well, definitely, I would encourage anyone watch a UK episode. And then follow it up with a U.S. episode. And you see 
a little bit what you're touching on. Like the UK episode is not a character. It is Gordon Ramsay himself. So he will get angry and he will insult people and they are funny insults sometimes, but it was also like very genuine. And the primary goal is for him to help those restaurants. Whereas in the U S version, I generally don't think he gives a shit whether or not the restaurant survives. And like, when you look into the survival rate, it's like 5% of restaurants were open a year after he went there. Admittedly, they are massively failing. So it's very unlikely that a week with Gordon Ramsay is going to turn them around. But the US one, and you can tell it's artificial, like it's scripted in some of them. Like the person doesn't want Gordon Ramsay to be there and they fight back against Gordon Ramsay. But after four days, they're won over and they're willing to give it a try. And then everything works and they, they hug and go home. Like it's so obviously scripted that it's annoying. The UK version is like very, very genuine. It's like bar rescue, same same idea. Like it's pretty scripted, but it's still entertaining, and it's still just funny seeing how bad people are at their job. I also like that aspect of it. That's the thing that blows my mind. Like I've never worked in a restaurant or run a restaurant, but it's been quite a long time working in bars. It is inconceivable for me that so many of these people run such bad restaurants. Like to me, making halfway decent food seems easy. Like to, as a restaurant to be able to turn out like edible, decent food that someone goes like, yeah, that was a pretty good meal is to me would be now that doesn't mean that having a successful restaurant is easy, but there's no reason someone should walk into your restaurant, eat the food and be like, this is disgusting. Like, cause yeah. I don't make myself, I don't make myself <laughs> meals at home where I'm like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> like, yeah. so, or, or like everything's raw, you know, like, come on, yes. this is basic. <laughs> Yeah. And like things are rotting in the background and stuff. Like, I don't understand this, like common sense. Like so much of what he does is he goes in and be like, when do you last clean this fridge? I don't know. It's like, oh, okay, this is a good start. <laughs> but like, that's the thing that blows my mind. It in part makes me think that opening a restaurant is easier than it is because most of the people you're competing against are just complete mouth breather breathers. Mouth breathers. <laughs> mouth yeah. breathers. Nice little stranger things reference. So soft brains. <laughs> Soft friends. Good idea for a restaurant would be calling it like burger or sandwich. And then you just have a selection of things on the menu and they've got to guess what it is based on like where it's from. Yeah. I don't know. I just but it is entertaining in some of his insults when he gets really genuinely worked up. He is very naturally good at insulting people. Like you have to give him credit. Like when he goes like when he's freestyling insults at people and he's really like they are so so good like just one-liners and stuff some of it i'm sure he's some of it i'm sure he's prepared a little bit like i was watching one the other day where he walks in and the restaurant just had a big s as like its logo and he just looks up and he goes s hope that's not for shit <laughs> just walks and he's just and it's nothing clever about that but you just know that he will have been like this one's gonna do well but when he is actually angry and he just starts insulting them and everything about them it's great it cuts to the very core of people at times that's like the bar rescue one where 80 percent of the time the reason the bar is unsuccessful is because a person run it as an absolute alcoholic who's one not able to function as a human and two is ruining the profit by drinking every day at the bar like if as long as you don't do those you got a good chance of having a successful bar yeah my other issue with bar rescue versus kitchen nightmares is that 
I feel like John Taffer is doing a slight Gordon Ramsay imitation in the like anger and insults aspect of things. I also think that as good of a career as John Taffer has had, it's very different being like I've run successful bars versus I have multiple restaurants with Michelin stars on multiple continents. And I am widely regarded as one of the best chefs of my era versus like I've been in the, I've been in the industry for over 30 years. And like I have run successful bars. Like there's no weight behind what you're saying. Like, if you see what I mean, like the, the number of people who would have the same level of qualifications as John Taffer is tremendous. Whereas the number of people who have like Gordon Ramsay's level of success within the food industry is relatively small. Well, John Taffer was one of the first six inductees into the nightclub hall of fame, Eddie. Well, wow. I so, think that's as, that's as hard so as there you go. Hard. <laughs> that's... What do you like? What's the judgment there? Like, what's the criteria know. for that acceptance? You have to be really good at running a nightclub, I guess. The only thing I do find interesting with watching Kitchen Nightmares, though, is when he turns up, like, A, you feel like he kind of does the same menu everywhere. Like, when he goes to a place that serves burgers, he does the same burger. Like, it's like the Gordon Ramsay burger gets come out and stuck on their menu. But I do find it interesting where it's like he goes to try and save, like, a Mexican restaurant or an Indian restaurant. And it's like, well this isn't your thing. Like it's very, I wouldn't want Gordon Ramsay revamping my Indian menu. Like as talented as he is, and I'm sure as like relatively knowledgeable as he might be about Indian cuisine, it still seems a little bit odd to me. Like it always makes sense when it's more like Italian, French cuisine where he might has like a, a more of a background in it. But like when it's something completely different it seems odd to me that this english guy is going to come in and salvage your failing mexican restaurant i have thoroughly enjoyed our sports conversations on this podcast <laughs> we glossed over brentford and that's basically been it <laughs> we talked about ronaldo well we can bring up one thing actually which is frank the fish nailed his uh, six nations predictions for the weekend yeah, it yeah. Did. with uh, I mean, in general, we all kind of read that correctly, which is that the Scotland, Wales and Ireland, France matches were going to be close and that they weren't. They were actually both Scotland and France were maybe slightly too heavy of favorites relative to what the and it definitely turned out to be true. Although I will say Scotland were the better team against Wales. It's just that they Wales for it the second well, no, but for the second time in two weeks, Wales ended up playing a sizable portion of a game against 14 men, which in rugby playing against a team with a man down is a massive battle. Like it's not like in football where you can kind of adjust your formation and just try and like hold tight. Like in rugby, you are always going to have the extra man out wide if you play things right. So that to me... I'm not, I'm not walking away from the last two weeks thinking that Wales are a team to be feared. But, I mean, it does look like at this point, France is kind of in the driver's seat, right? Well, maybe, because I actually feel like, in a way, nothing has been settled because mm. they didn't get a bonus point against Ireland. So there is a way for other teams to catch points up. Um, but fundamentally it's going to be come down to obviously them beating them against Wales is obviously going to be a big decider because those are the two teams, the two unbeaten sides. 
but still England will feel like they're they've lost. But similar to last year, they've lost and still have a chance of winning the of winning the Six Nations, which in other years you might not have felt that way. Um, but definitely they have an opportunity. Like if Eng- England obviously are in the position, if they just win their, their remaining matches and get bonus points in all of them, they will win the Six Nations. That is obviously France easier. wins the rest of their, <laughs> their <laughs> matches. They also win. <laughs> and, and same goes for Wales. So, so no, no, there's... And if Italy win the rest, they still don't win. <laughs> exactly. I- Italy are the only team that can write themselves off at this point. Well, I guess Ireland can as well. But... Now I did see the thing we didn't touch on. We we previewed right the Champions League. Uh, there's actually two topics, both Liverpool related, that I wanted to address because obviously Liverpool had another disappointing performance this weekend and can be well and truly crossed off the title race. I mean, United also drawing with West Brom probably means this is City are going to win this easily. Um, and as Sam as I discussed in the end, this is probably going to be a relatively boring Premier League season in that the you can already tell the team's going down. City are going to win the title. So it's just about getting in- interested in the European races, which as a neutral is not the most fascinating thing in the world. But uh, I did see that Liverpool will also have to play their home match at a neutral venue against Leipzig because the same rules that are not allowing them to travel to Germany don't allow German players to travel to England and then come back and they would have to quarantine for 14 days upon return. So they're going to have to play in a neutral venue uh, on the return. Like, which to me almost makes sense just because if you had, if one team had to play in a neutral venue anyway, it makes sense to kind of balance it. Like they may as well but play, mm. they may as well have chosen a place where just both legs could have been played and yeah. said that this is fair. That's happening but, in the Europa League, isn't it? Like Benfica Arsenal's in Rome, isn't it? And I yeah. think it's both legs in Rome. So. It, to me, that kind of makes more sense. And I'm going to assume that they're probably going to end up playing both in Budapest. Just seems a little bit odd because Budapest is, relatively speaking, quite far away. But um, the uh, the other thing, and maybe I just somehow missed this, this storyline. But were you aware that Jurgen Klopp's mother had died and that he wasn't able to attend her funeral? Yes, I did hear that i just kind of glossed over it though it just seemed very tragic but i can't dwell on it like it's pandemic it's lockdown it's tragic that we can't be there in those situations but i why yeah why couldn't he attend because of uh travel restrictions and covid restrictions oh so she died in january and he wasn't and and in no way to like turn this into an excuse for liverpool or anything but it is interesting to me i've seen it mentioned a couple times but in some respects I admire him for not in any way like promoting that as an excuse or trying to bring it up or trying any like to try and keep that as not being a real storyline behind anything. But it is worth thinking about in terms of he's obviously getting a little bit of criticism for Liverpool's performances and just his general demeanor over the past couple months has not been great, I would say, in like post match interviews and everything. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's maybe people need to keep it in mind like, what a very unusual like a bad event at the best of times but in particular to then have to deal with it when you can't even get back and see the person presumably before she died and then also attend her funeral and things can't be easy like you're unlikely that your mind is in any way focused on football yeah interestingly enough did you hear him on the interview where he conceded the title and he looked genuinely very distraught 
as saying like, yes, the, the title is over for us. But did you also see his odds recently went from like 50 to one for leaving Liverpool to like eight to 11 within like yeah. four hours or something like that? And um, Steven, Steven Gerrard is odds on to be the next Liverpool manager. I mean, none of this is happening. He's, he's obviously come out now, but usually we, we've said it before, like these managerial races, uh, momentum really matters in the betting, like really, really matters. And it must have come from somewhere. It, it just can't be a, like a GameStop style, like, oh, this is happening somewhere. Let's plow on. Maybe there was a moment where he was thinking it and someone close heard that and ran with it. I mean, he's, I don't think he's going to get sacked. He'd leave if it was going to be a departure of sorts. I guess. I mean, I guess the thing is we don't really know, right? Because when you have foreign ownership who have no real track record, you don't know how they'll deal with it. You don't know what their pressures are, how they respond. Like say they miss the Champions League and the financial impacts that might have on the club. You don't know how that kind of ownership will respond. And like, it's the thing, right? We know with Chelsea, Abramovich is going to be is not going to give you much time. Like if Jurgen Klopp were a Chelsea manager now, he'd be sacked. Like even if they'd won the league before, he'd be sacked now. And whereas, you know, if he were Manchester United manager, no way he'd be sacked. So the thing is, this is kind of going into the, into unknown territory for this ownership group and knowing how they'll deal with the first seriously disappointing campaign under Klopp. But he does have a history of this, right? Dortmund, uh, they had their rapid ascent under Klopp. And then as soon as they got to that peak, straight, not straight back down. It's not like they went 12th in the next season, but it was a bit of a fall from grace, wasn't it? And is there a similarity here? You know, three years of growth or two years of growth culminating in a lead victory. And then here they are in sixth and in somewhat of a free fall. Yeah, definitely. And and you touched on the right thing. And as we've spoken about off the podcast too, some managers just have that. Like Mourinho has the three-year thing and maybe with Klopp, maybe the way he works, people stop listening. The, mess, the kind of approach doesn't work as well after a certain amount of time. It's possible that he has this half-life and it's just not very long for him. Yeah. I mean, we're never going to see managers in the top echelons of football at the Ferguson-Wenger levels again, are we? I mean, the tolerance for that change is not only more constant now and like kind of ticks over quicker, but owners demand more kind of like instant gratification than they would giving someone five years. I mean, like Wenger... Ferguson had a terrible start to his managerial career at Man U, but also kind of uh, before he started Aberdeen, he was almost fired. Uh, Wenger came over from like Grampus in Japan as like a relative nobody. Um, and he, he was given time that culminated in like a season win early on. Um, I don't think we're going to see that again. The closest, I mean, of the current set of managers, right? The only one who you could say might be in with a chance is Pep Guardiola. But the thing that seems to would stop that is that he has kind of openly spoken about the fact that he doesn't want to do it. But if he wanted to hang around, I could see a world in which Guardiola was city manager for 15 years. I mean, he's already been there for five. Really? Wow. 
I, I think I, 2016 I, he joined. So. Yeah, I, I just see it so... I don't know why, but I always, I always feel like he's been there maybe like the year before they won the league against Liverpool. <laughs> like he's been there like three years or something, which isn't that different, but it doesn't feel that dramatic. But I, I, I will say, speaking of which, uh, kind of going the other way, obviously Obama Yang had... Um, personal oh god reasons. oh god it's, oh god no 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 but I, I was just saying that Obama Yang came out and it turns out that the personal reasons he had is his mother's very unwell yeah. and I think it's a very similar thing that he wasn't able to see came back recently and one of the things in that win is he thanked he kind of thanked everyone for like the time given and the time off and that so it, it can go both ways can't it but it's still sad and not, tragic nonetheless so now they're not, making their run yeah, not to make light of Obama Yang's personal problems, but you make fun of me for the Niners Nation aspect of this podcast, the Arsenal assholes aspect of aspects of this podcast. Hey, that's not the, just like call deep. it something a bit more conventional. Like Niners Nation is a is a nice. Well, come up come up with a bit of alliteration that works with Arsenal for us. Then we're only six points off Liverpool. <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> That can be the name. Oh, Arsenal, <laughs> we're only six points off Liverpool. Yeah, that's okay. it. We're going to have to save at this moment, but um, I, th- I think that's more a failing on Liverpool than it is. <laughs> yeah, 100%. It's crazy. But go on, take your minute and tell us how Arsenal somehow have some slim hopes of making the top four or something. Oh, I don't need to. It's there for everyone to see. <laughs> I'm not going to. The floor is yours. I will say, I forgot about this one. I sent Sam the wristband, the Arsenal wristband for Christmas. I also sent one to Furlong in the Liverpool style around a little before December. And they have not fared well since then. (laughs) And has his arrived? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he got it the same time Sam got his. So, like, around Christmas time. Change of fortune. Nice. Now, I guess uh, we've we've spoken about the good the predictions of uh, Frank the Fish. Worth acknowledging that Sam the Squid's NBA prediction for the good year for the Phoenix Suns has, well, you know, third of the way through the season, and... They are in fourth place in the Western Conference. They are only just behind the Lakers uh, and just behind the Clippers in their division. So his pick, I think they were 22 to 1 to win that division, doesn't look quite as outlandish at the moment, but still seems unlikely. And Anthony Davis now has to manage an Achilles injury, so will likely be rested quite a bit over the next few weeks. So... I guess in with a chance, but still seems unlikely. It would be epic. Yeah. For context, they are now 16 to 1 to win the division. So, got some value. Yeah. The odds have dropped, but not not exactly considered uh, likely. Does that that really matter for the Lakers having uh, Davies out? Uh, It doesn't matter from a regular season standpoint because I don't think they'd even really care about their seeding. And I think anyway, given the fact that there's, like, I don't know, there won't be people in attendance, right, in the playoffs. So whether you're on the road or whether you're 
playing at home, like the extra home game or the extra road game, I don't think it really matters. So they won't be concerned. The only issue will be is if his injury carries over into the playoffs and then they feel like they can't, they have to limit his playing time. And an Achilles injury is pretty bad. I mean, it's not like, it's not something that you can just deal with really easily. So it's definitely not ideal, but I don't think it should be too much of an issue for them. Now you've got to follow the squid early, get the value. I think the person who's probably almost happy about it, and I, I say almost, but is LeBron James, who I feel like kind of wants to be the MVP this year. And Anthony Davis playing limited time for a while will help his cause if, he gets, if it gets viewed as him really carrying the Lakers for any sustained period of time. It's weird, that kind of mentality in like I, I guess American sports you know like the MVP the kind of being the best of course like most people want to be the best but it comes across a little bit like not a team player if you see my point I think basketball maybe because in NFL you know like you've never heard Rogers screaming or doing things that make his chances of MVP it's not like in the final game he's going to do something incredible because he knows that that extra 200 yards will guarantee him MVP or something. No, but you could, could kind of argue that Aaron Rodgers this year had a lot of short yardage, like touchdown passes, like in the red zone, they were throwing in situations where a lot of teams would have run the ball. And so you could kind of argue that that's a good way to chase it. Cause like part of the reason he got the MVP was just the sheer number of touchdowns. And so, whereas everyone else was handing off from three yards out, he's throwing a three yard touchdown pass. I don't think he's like consciously chasing the MVP, but I'm sure you're aware of the fact that like, hey, five touchdown game, that helps. I guess you just want to be the best, right? And I guess a default part is recognition of being the best, is recognized as being the best in a regular season. Um, there just isn't really a, no one's screaming to be in team of the year in Premier League or something like that. I guess the closest thing would be top goal scorer, but that's a, usually a specific position. Well, like Ballon d'Or, right? I guess would be the real... I don't care it's... for it. I just think it's a bunch <laughs> You turn of... it down? It's just a bunch of journalists. It's just a bunch of like journalists <laughs> deciding care. it. Because it's not... It, 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 who actually gives the votes for the Ballon d'Or? Isn't it like a French... Uh, which newspaper is it or publication is it that give it it's awarded by the french news magazine france football I just i just feel like it's just a bunch of journalists who could easily be paid off or i mean you could say that about i mean the mvp is is voted on by journalists too right like it, members of the media so it's kind of the same idea uh I think the Ballon d'Or has become boring because it is won by Messi or Ronaldo every year. And I'm, and I think that's correct. Like I hate that. Like I even hate this in the MVP races in the U S where people get bored. Like LeBron James has not won as many MVPs as he should have because people feel like it's boring just to give it to LeBron every year. But fundamentally, if he deserves it, he should get it. And Ronaldo and Messi deserve it between them. Every Didn't year. Luka Modric oh, just win it like yeah. last year? Luka Modric. No, he won it like five or six years ago. It wasn't. No, no, no like no. two years ago, wasn't it? He won it. He won it after two thousand. He won it after the World Cup year. 
but that oh, is the only wow. yeah that is the only time in like the last 10 years that anyone other than Ronaldo or Messi has won it so like it is just like it is just a absolutely dominated by the two of them and I get it I'll give you a good question who was the last person to win it besides Modric before Messi or Ronaldo that's tough tell you what I think I know it I think it's Kaka. It is. Yeah, that's... I think it's. I, I remember nice. that being some sort nice of like job. pub quiz question. Um, yeah, I, I, it, but that must have been what? 2007. 13, 14 yep. years ago, yeah. Seven. So if you think since 2007, they've won it, <laughs> one of them has won it every year apart from one. So like it is a little dull. Like you just know what's. I mean, I guess this is the first year where. I mean, it was canceled in 2020, right? I guess 2021 will be the first time that it might get a new winner. I mean, Messi has no chance. Ronaldo has a chance, although Juventus aren't exactly flying. But if 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 Ronaldo has a great Euros, then he'll win it. Here's one for you, Eddie. Last English winner. Oh, didn't Michael Owen win it? Michael Owen did win it, yes, and and that was subsequently the last. <laughs> yeah, okay, no England player. I mean, the, you could argue that there would have been England play, English players who deserved it some years. Like you could have Beckham. told me Steven Gerrard could have earned it in. I would have maybe considered him the year that Liverpool won the Champions League for the first time, with the comeback against AC Milan. Mm. You could have told me that. That year, he sort of deserved it. Well, when was the last magazine. time someone playing for an English club won? Oh, was that because because Owen would have been playing for Real Madrid. Madrid? Yeah. I tell you what, there's a lot of close opportunities, really, because. I know like Gerard and Lampard were close with it. I know that like Henri was close with it at Arsenal. Um, but Ooh. last English oh. club winner? It must yep. be going back forever. No, it's not. <laughs> oh. Well, it can't be Ronaldo it can't be, or Messi. It can't, it's, it's, <laughs> so, it's since 2007, seven. so it's not, that, <laughs> it's not that recent. It has Ronaldo. Oh, Ronaldo when he was at United. Yep. Oh yeah, you didn't even, <laughs> wow. didn't even consider that. <laughs> yep, first yeah, year he good, won it. That's like a good trick question in a way. Yep, uh, nice. I thought I would trick you guys up with that. Yeah, because if not, you must be going back to like the seventies. Yeah, which is crazy, right? Like that's part of the other re- the reason why I think English people get less into the Ballon d'Or because there is genuinely the perception that there is a bias for european like continental players it's it's a french magazine yes <laughs> you are dead set on this just because of the french aspect i just no, no, no. like i think it i think in a way it's been slightly it's hard to look at that trend anymore because it's been so dominated by two people and deservedly so as eddie mentioned but it would be interesting to go back to like who's won it who they've beaten but I guess memory will fade and I'll probably won't be able to recall that many times. 
Well, the last English player I can tell you to have even featured in the top three voting was Frank Lamp. Well, 2005, Frank Lampard and Steven Gerrard finished second and third, respectively, behind Ronaldinho. But they took votes away from each other. Yeah, but no English player has made crack the top three since then. And then last year you had Van Dyke finished second in the vote. Well, 2019. Yeah, not far off um, Messi. But yeah, it is, it is very much dominated by players in Spain and Italy. Well, I think going full circle and rounding it off, the one last thing I have for you is not only are we in a chicken sandwich war in the United States, we're also in a pizza war. And there's been some new pizzas that have been released that I wanted to see which one you'd be you most to know willing and Frank, I just like to before try. you ask us before you ask us this, where are you getting this like new yeah, release? This is a good, is there like a press associate, like an associated press that just kind of shove it out as soon as it's there and you pick on the bulletins or Yahoo Finance? Oh my god. Yahoo Finance. <laughs> Yahoo Finance. How Domino's, Papa John's, and Pizza Hut menu tweaks are sparking a pizza war. <laughs> I I just got to tell you, you know who must be the most pleased about this? Brooke De Palma, or whatever her name is, De Palma. She must be wondering where her one reader is coming from. She must have been. She's probably called her parents and been like, "You won't believe it. Someone read my article this month." Brooke De Palma is the associate producer for Yahoo Finance. I think we're associate producers for Yahoo Finance. Hey, don't mock Yahoo. So last month, Pizza Hut unveiled four new Detroit-style pizzas, including the double pepperoni, the double cheesy, the meaty deluxe, and the Supremo. Wait, what's a Detroit style? Has it got like car parts? Detroit style, it's it's yeah. It's uh it's made with really dirty water. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's like a thick um Kind of like rectangular, it's like a thick dough, rectangular thick dough, but the dough is it's softish, kind of almost like a focaccia bread. Dough, they they cook it in sense. like a what would you'd think you'd like, like bake bread in almost, almost. Like, a, like a like a tin, like a rectangular tin. So it's hmm. there you go. It's like a thicker but fluffier kind of dough. So that's Pizza Hut's. Papa John's went epic in quotation marks with its new stuffed crust pizza. I don't know if you guys are a fan of the stuffed crust. Wait, wait. Domino's released two new flavors, the cheeseburger pizza, which <laughs> if it were Europe and it were a cheeseburger pizza, it would have to have buns on it. And the chicken taco pizza. So, so out of those ones I've really, I've mentioned, which one intrigues you the most? You know, in the UK, Pizza Hut, actually did a cheeseburger pizza where they made the crust into like a bit of mince in the top of it and it actually had like a burger patty in the crust wait what yeah no no explain it again i I legitimately don't understand what you're saying so like (laughs) what they did is they almost like extended the crust further so they could okay. put a dollop of mince into the middle of it, not through it like a stuffed crust, but into the middle of the wow. crust. So but was it the crust also like stuffed? 
Was it a stuffed crust burger I, pizza? I never had it. I think I almost chundered at the thought of having it. <laughs> but yeah, I remember seeing it. The stuffed crust is a great concept, but it never yeah. tastes as good as you think it is. So I'm not going to lie. I'm a big Papa John's fan. And I ordered the Papa John's stuffed crust pizza like three weeks ago. And I was pretty disappointed because it just, it never lives up to the hype. Now I hundred there's on paper, it sounds delicious and it can tempt me every once in a while. And then it like, just as long, it takes you whatever it is, like six months to forget how disappointing it is. Then you reorder it and then instantly remember why it's not that good of an idea. And to me, the biggest issue is that it just solidifies within the crust. So then you just get to the crust and it's just this like tube of like mozzarella or whatever, like hard, cold mozzarella running through yeah. your crust. Like the only advantage it has is it kind of gives the crust itself like more grip and it makes it more solid. So in that respect, it's kind of nice. It helps the pizza stay together, but it's never, you know, you'd have to basically be keeping the pizza in the oven so that it stays really like the idea of like opening the pizza and having it out and then grabbing just some pieces. You'd have to keep it warm so that the, it doesn't solidify. Yeah, I agree. Have you ever and had I'm the not hot a big dog crust? Have you ever had the what? hot dog? That, that, there's like a hot dog crust. So like there's a frankfurter that goes through the hot dog, through the crust. <laughs> it's a it's a gay bar thing, Frank. <laughs> it's like is that where you cut a hole out of the bottom of the pizza? <laughs> it's like when you go to Pizza Hut, it's the it's the way you like signal to the people there. Like you know, like when they used to say, like the 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 earring on the just in the left ear was like the silly. No, the pineapple in the shopping cart. Exactly, the pineapple in the shopping cart, or the earring just in one ear. If you go to Pizza Hut and you go like, "Hey, could I please have the hot dog crust, please?" Wink, wink. And wait, then they go like, well, "Oh yeah, go upstairs." Wait, pineapple in the shopping cart. What if you were just buying? Oh, pineapple? this is. It's Wait, a so who, thing. who did it's, we it's, have this combo with then, Eddie? I can't remember. I thought it was in here because Eddie did not believe it existed. And then we looked it up and it's a legitimate thing. If you put a pineapple upside down in your shopping cart when you're at the grocery store, that <laughs> means you're like in, into swinger stuff. Well, like yeah. it's in distress. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's a sign of being a swinger or putting a pineapple outside your front door. What? Okay, that that so people one... might buy ornamental pineapples, obviously not just like a rotting pineapple yeah. sitting outside their front door. But if you bought like a like a you know sort of pineapple statue or like a little metal pineapple and you stuck it outside your front door, that's supposed to be a sign that you're a swinger. I I mean I think at some point someone needs to test this. Maybe we get Vasilis to go to a grocery store and just for an hour wheel around the shopping cart with an upside down pineapple and see what happens. I definitely like to see Vasilis attend a swingers party. Well, thing is, he'd I mean, have to he, he'd have to be he had to bring someone, right? Like he can't just go by himself. That's the biggest challenge. <laughs> <laughs> Well, going back to your pizza question, though, Frank, I'm going to dismiss the taco pizza. That sounds gross. I'm going to dismiss the hamburger pizza. That sounds gross. I can't remember what the first one was. It was so the Detroit the, style. I'd probably go Detroit style. They sound quite give good. It a, give it a go. Yeah. If I had to experiment with one of them. 
I'd, oh, we're just talking my, about eating it, Eddie. <laughs> I'd, put my, I'd put my pineapple. I'd put my pineapple upside down, and I'd order the Detroit style, and then see how my night goes. Now that would have been a perfect segue if we hadn't talked about the Matthew Stafford trade last week. <laughs> I mean, we didn't really speak about the Matthew Stafford trade in any depth. Yeah, we talked about it just in reference to if that's what he got, then yeah, what 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 do you have to offer for Deshaun Watson? Which, I mean, do you feel more confident about the Rams now with Matthew Stafford than you did with them with Jared Goff? Oh, a thousand times. And I don't like Stafford as much as you do. You must have put 10,000 on them to win as soon as you saw that trade go down. I wasn't, I don't love, I was a big Matthew Stafford fantasy football guy. That's where, that's the only real time. And that's going back quite a while now, back when I used to play fantasy football, which I haven't done for quite a few years. But uh, I think he's an improvement, but I, I'm not going to pencil them in as Super Bowl favorites. I guess the issue is still, even with Stafford, who are they surrounding him with? You don't have that great of receiving core. No. I mean, it's always a bad sign when your best receiver is white, right? Like, that's when you're... <laughs> terrible. It's true, though. It's a bad sign. Unless you're Tom Brady, that's an issue. Yeah, if they can get one more good receiver, or who's their tight end? I forget who their tight end is. I can't remember. But, yeah, I mean, that definitely makes them more competitive. I guess a lot of it, too, depends. I I mean, I know, like, I'm not actually joking, but a lot depends on the Niners because – you know, the Niners could be a team at full strength that could run that division. But if they're the Niners again, that they were last year, then, you know, you're looking at the Rams are probably going to come out top on that division. Yeah. Yeah. And also Russell Wilson, right. Is supposedly frustrated with Seattle. So that's going to be interesting. too much. (laughs) Yeah. And then have to see what, what steps the Cardinals take. I mean, the, fundamentally, the Cardinals are now poised to just play spoilers in that division in that they're a difficult team to play and they're going to end up ruining someone's season by like beating a team twice. Fundamentally, what they kind of did to the Niners this year, like yeah, you'll lose the Cardinals and then that just means that you're out of the race to win the division. Well, I, I mean, we'll have to see with the Cardinals, right? Because, you know, you've got... Murray, who's still progressing, and you've got Kingsbury, who's still progressing as a head coach. So they could turn out to be better next year than they were this year. And this year, you're right. They were like a mediocre team that could be a good team on any given day, but wasn't a consistently good team. So maybe they can get to a more consistent level. Um, But I think next year is kind of the deciding factor. If next year their level of play is the same as this year, then I can't expect them to be legitimate contenders. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think we've done enough food and beverage talk and entertainment talk for one day. I'll uh, talk to you boys later. See ya. Cheerio.